Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 6 of The True Crime Couple. We have great news for you. We hit over 20,000 listens in less than one month. We're so excited about that. It's unbelievable. Please, if you haven't already, add us on Instagram and Twitter at True Crime Couple. Also, keep those iTunes reviews coming in. They're really helping us so much, and your feedback is really important. We really love hearing what people have to say about the podcast, and we appreciate all the kind words that are coming in. And if you're really feeling generous and you want to help us bring you a better podcast, then you can donate to our Patreon page. That page is patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. And even if you pledge a dollar a month, you'd really be helping us more than you know. We want to try and get some better audio equipment, help with the editing, because we are very new at doing that. So we could we could make this better for you, and that's what we want to do. Definitely. Well, anyway, guys, so we're really sorry about our two-hour, uh, two-day delay. There was a car that actually took out a telephone pole. Uh, must have been like, a, like you know, some power line issues, and we've been without power for two days. Right, so we're finally getting back to you now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thank God for Jenga, because honestly, I'm like so bored here, so it's been terrible. I know, not that entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight we're going to be talking about the unsolved case of the Jameson family. Uh, The whole family went missing in October of 2009, and what happened to them is still a mystery. On top of that, there are so many theories about what happened to this family, and we're going to get into all of them as plausible and as crazy as they are. (laughs) So first, let's talk about the background of the family. The Jameson family was comprised of Bobby Dale Jameson, Sherry Lynn Leanne Jameson, and Madison Stormy Star Jameson. That's quite wow, a middle star. Quite a middle name. Ooh. Sherry Lynn did have a son from a previous marriage named Colton, who will appear briefly throughout the narrative. Bobby Jameson was 44 years old, 6'3", and described as having slouching issues at the time of the disappearance due to a back injury that he had gotten in a recent car accident. Sherry Lynn was 40 years old, 5'7", and weighed around 105 pounds. Madison was described as a six-year-old girl with blonde hair and missing her front baby teeth. At the time of the disappearance, the family was going through some family troubles. Some of these troubles surrounded Bobby's relationship with his father, Bobby Dean Jameson. So to make things clear, because their names are both very similar, I'll be referring to Bobby is Bobby, so he's the father of the Jameson family, and then his father I'll call Bobby Dean, or Bob Dean. It'll just make things a little easier. Of course, with these cases, everyone seems to have the same name, so it makes it confusing. It's like cowboy names, you know, like the Wild Wild West. Well, this is is Oklahoma, so. Okay, so it kind of fits. Yeah, they have like double names, and then their middle names are double names, so. Gotcha. Bobby had filed a petition for protection and a lawsuit against his father. Bobby Jameson filed a petition for a protective order against his own father because the man had threatened to kill him and his family on at least two occasions. Bobby stated that his father thinks he is above the law. He also claims that his father is involved with prostitutes, meth, and the Mexican mafia. It is important to note that in southeastern section of Oklahoma, where the family is from, there particularly the area of Red Oak, it's known for meth production. So it may not be that far-fetched that maybe he was involved with some meth dealings, but Bobby was claiming that his father was deeply involved in the Mexican mafia. Right, so it's like a a page ripped out of like the script of uh, Breaking Bad here. Yeah. Okay. With the cooking the meth, and yeah, that's definitely what's (laughs) happening. In certain areas, we don't know if the Jamesons were involved with it, but... It definitely was happening in the area, so it really can't be discounted too much. Okay. The actual petition reads, Bob Dean Jameson has come to my house threatening to kill me, Bobby Dale Jameson, Sherry Lynn Leanne Jameson, Colton Pless Magnum, and that's the son that Sherry Lynn has from a different marriage, and kidnapped Madison Stormy Star Jameson and hit me with his vehicle on November 1st, 2008. So... 
there was an occasion where Bobby's father did strike him with a vehicle. So this has gotten physical and very dangerously physical in the past. And that was really a year before the disappearance took place because the disappearance is going to be October of 2009 and this is November of 2008. On April 29, 2009, I went into court with my mother, Starlet Jameson. So Bobby's mother's name is Starlet Jameson. I went to the bathroom and he made the same threat. My entire family is severely scared for their lives. I am in fear all the time. So the incident that Bobby was referring to on April 29, 2009, his mother and father were getting divorced. So it seems like he accompanied his mother to court for the divorce proceedings. And when Bobby had went to the bathroom, his father followed him in and made the same threat. He was going to kill everyone and kidnap Madison. Despite the threats, the protective order was dismissed on May 18, 2009. It was dismissed after hearing the testimony of all of those involved. So it does seem like his father was threatening them, but if a judge throws it out, we don't we don't have the details of why the judge threw it out. We just have the petition that Bobby filed. Right, like how credible could this possibly be? You know, like it's just he's you know, his word against the fathers, the sons versus the fathers. Correct. And it just seems like it was probably more of a domestic dispute between the two parties. Right. And he what I think happens, because this is going to go further and we're going to get into now that he was filing a lawsuit against his father, maybe he thought this petition for protective order would help with the lawsuit. Right. Down and things the road, get heated. Possibly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Jamesons claimed that they were still in fear for their lives. After Bobby's mother got divorced from his father, she came to live with the family for some time. Because they were all scared of Bob Dean, Bobby's mother, Starlet, paid for the installment of su- security surveillance cameras. And those cameras are going to come into play later with the disappearance. In addition to filing the petition for a protective order, Bobby Jameson was suing his parents at the time of his disappearance, claiming he was owed property for himself and two vehicles for his daughter. After the divorce, the lawsuit was only directed at his father. So at first he was suing his mother and his father, but then they got divorced. So then he was only suing his father. Now, that's curious timing, too. I wonder if that had to do with the divorce and why it took place. It's possible. Yeah, we can only speculate about that. Yeah. Starlet has not spoken, and we'll find out that shortly after the disappearance of the family that Bob Dean is going to pass away. So we really don't have much clarification on this. He claimed in the lawsuit that he worked for free at one of his parents' businesses which was a gas station. The lawsuit states Bobby Dean Jameson enticed his son to work for free at the family's gas station in Oklahoma City without any compensation, but with the understanding that the station would be half his when he got older. And I guess the station was never half given to him when he got older. So it doesn't say... I couldn't find specifically how old he was when he did this. This may have been high school because I can't picture a grown man working for free. I can't picture anybody working for free. <laughs> I know. I know. So I I'm assuming that this is something that happened a long time ago, the working for free and right. with the understanding that the business would be half his, but now it's not. So that's why he was suing his father. The Jameson family also had a lot going on internally. It was reported that the family was going through difficult times financially. Both Bobby and Sherry Lynn were collecting Social Security disability checks. Bobby was in a really bad car accident involving three cars, and this led to him taking painkillers for his resulting back injury. Um, By all accounts, the crash was a bad one, so it doesn't seem like Bobby was faking his back injury. It was, he did have extensive damage to his back from this car accident, And it seemed like he was relying on painkillers to get through his day. So that's why he was on Social Security disability, which is a difficult thing to get. So that's the situation with Bobby. I couldn't find out why Sherry Lynn was on disability, but it may have been for mental health reasons. And this is a lot harder to get and maintain in the United States. But we're going to talk later about her mental health. But in order to be on Social Security Disability for Mental Health, you need to be cleared by several doctors several times a year. 
So I think that can speak volumes about the severity of Sherry Lynn's mental health at the time of the disappearance. Right. That's not something you could just fake because you want to, to get a check. Yeah. The couple has also recently lost a significant amount of weight and not like, oh, I lost a good amount of weight. They look emaciated. So that's going to lead a lot of people to think that they were involved with drugs. But something else was going on. They, there was an underlying depression. At different times in their relationship, either Bobby or Sherry Lynn were dealing with bouts of depression. And in Sherry Lynn's case, this was brought on by the sudden death of her sister two years earlier in 2007. Her depression may have also been amplified by the fact that her son Colton, who was 15, had recently gotten back in touch with his father, Billy Magnum. Custody, which had previously been Sherry Lynn's, was now Billy's. We can speculate as to why this happened. I mean, maybe because Billy was a 15-year-old boy who just wanted to start a relationship with his dad, he wanted to go with his father. Or maybe he found it difficult to live with his mother, her bipolar disorder, which seems to be um, an extreme case of bipolar disorder, and her new family situation. She has a new husband, a new daughter. We don't know how well he fit in there. The family courts also allow children over the ages of 12 to have a big say in which parent they live with. So Billy didn't necessarily have to show that Sherry Lynn was unfit. Colton just really would have to say, I want to live with my father versus my mother. Um, It's also important to note that by all accounts, the transfer of custody was done so without incident. So there was never fighting between Billy and Sherry Lynn, but this was something that made her really upset and made her sad. So it would probably add to a depressive state, especially when someone's dealing with the complications of bipolar disorder on top of depression. Right. And, uh, you know, no matter if you are dealing with bipolar or if you're completely fine, a mother, you know, and her son, that's, that's rough, you know? I mean... If he wants to go with his dad and the mother's now without her child, it can be a little hard. It's, you know, it's one of those things you have to rip it off like a Band-Aid. <laughs> Correct. And if she's still having a hard time dealing with the loss of her sister, now the loss of her son, that's going to be really difficult. Yeah. The couple had moved to a lakefront property in Eufaula from Oklahoma City following the issues with Bobby's father. They were looking to buy a large amount of land and live inside a large storage container, which was currently on their property in Eufaula. They claimed that they wanted to live a peaceful life away from civilization. The couple also had taken Madison out of public school in the area shortly before the disappearance, and the Jamesons were engaged in legal actions. So what I learned from that was they were trying to start the process of getting Madison homeschooled. That's not something that can so easily happen because you have to prove that at home you have a conducive situation to educate your child so if you can't prove that then the child can't be put into a homeschooling situation so they were starting the legal action to prove that they could homeschool madison so it seems like and we know there was a big jump in this whole idea in 2009 but this whole survivalist kind of mindset what were the yeah john's into this i am a little bit i'm on the our doomsday um, preppers. Yeah, doomsday preppers. I'm I'm not on this crazy, like, oh, we have to go live in a storage unit. But, but I he mean, does have a backpack ready to go. Just I do. so everyone knows. And I think everyone should have a backpack ready to go. But anyway, getting back to the case. I'm missing cans of tuna all the time. I, <laughs> they're in John's backpack. Tuna last a year in a can, just to let everybody know. But anyway, getting back to the case, I think that... Um, you know, it, it, that's when it's uh, doomsday prepper thing started to rise. So that kind of explains the whole getting a 40-acre land plot, um, taking the girl out of school, and living off the land in a storage container. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that's so uncommon to live in a large storage container. There, It did begin in kind of like the mid-2000s. People began converting these large storage containers into... Bunkers. Bunkers, homes... Um, something to be a little bit more cost efficient and the family by all accounts wanted to live off the land and they kind of wanted to be by themselves. Um, Bobby was someone who wanted to kind of live off the grid. He, especially after his back injury and he couldn't work 
and they were only getting their social security checks, thought that maybe it would save some money if the family could be a little bit more self-sufficient. Sherry Lynn, with her bouts of bipolar disorder, really liked isolating herself from the public. So it does seem like this is something that the couple was going to do. It wasn't something that they were, they weren't trying to hide from anybody. Right. They weren't trying to get away because they were running from something. It seemed like they just wanted to get away to get away. They were getting into this new survivalist, living off the grid, we're self-sufficient kind of thing. It seemed like that was the direction they were taking versus we're hiding. Right. But while the family was still living in Eufaula on their lakefront property, they wanted to start saving some money for this, especially because they were going through financial problems. It was hard to pay the mortgage. So they decided to rent a room out to someone. The man, unfortunately was a white supremacist. Now, I don't know if they knew that prior to renting him the room or they found out afterwards, but there was an incident in which he got into an argument with Sherry Lynn and then he began yelling racial epithets and insults at her. Sherry Lynn, who was part Native American, then reportedly put a gun to his head and forced him to leave the property that day. He actually had to send someone back to get his stuff. That's crazy. And that's not... I mean, I can't speak for them because I don't know if they knew all this about him before. But when you have two children living in your house, I just don't know if it's always... And I don't want to speak for people. And I, everyone's situation is different. But I don't know if I would ever rent a room out to someone when I have two young children in my house. I was just about to say that to you. I agree. I wouldn't even rent it out. Especially yeah. to a man who seems to have a checkered past. Crazy. Uh, there was one other thing going on here. The occult. And I promise you the occult on so many different levels. First, the family claimed that they were waging spiritual warfare in their home. They claimed that a family of ghosts lived in their Eufaula house. The mother and father were named Emily and Michael, and they had a young child. One of the parents had wings like an angel. The child ghost was in contact with Madison a lot, as Emily was with Sherry Lynn. A ghost family. A ghost family lives with them, which is another reason why they shouldn't have someone renting a room. There's too many people in the house. Overcrowded. <laughs> Overcrowded. We don't know. This could be true. Absolutely. I don't true. have proof that ghosts don't exist. This could have been happening for them. And to further back up the story of the fact that the family and it's not even what's reality or not because we can debate all day whether this was going on their house or it wasn't the fact is is that they believed that it was well really quickly do did you find anything about if there were any people like killed in the house no i couldn't find anything if there was any murders of or disappearances of families from anyone in the house or the street Okay. So, and I'm sure if there was, this is something that would have been wildly reported because this is the part of the case that people like to hear about. So I think if something correlated with it and kind of corroborated the story, people would have jumped on it. Also, and I couldn't find anything. Also, if that is true, if there were Mike and whoever and the whole family of ghosts living in the attic. Yeah, Mike and would, Emily. Mike and Emily. I mean, it would be the whole family, so it would be more, more of a president. Right. To further back up this story of the belief that Bobby and Sherry Lynn, because they did both believe this, believe that there was spirits in their house, was Eufaula Pastor Gary Brandon. And he's going to tell police during a formal investigation that Bobby told him he saw two to four spirits on the roof. Sherry Lynn also confirmed to him that she saw the spirits as well. She also indicated that she had the power to exercise these spirits. Bobby then claimed that the family was reading the Satanic Bible to find out how to get rid of these spirits. Now that's something that kind of unsettled the pastor a little bit. Bobby then finally asked Brandon. Bobby then finally asked Brandon where he could obtain special bullets to shoot these spirits. I think they're watching too much Supernatural here. I, I mean, so. I think if you're going to shoot a bullet, it's just going to go through the wall. What the, Silver or not, I mean, yeah. that's crazy. Uh, Sherry Lynn's friend, Nikki Chenold, who is going to speak a lot to investigators, we'll hear from her later on too, is going to confirm the spiritual presence in the house. She said that she witnessed a gray mass descend the stairs and that Sherry Lynn told her that her normally gentle husband Bobby would sometimes approach her with dead and black eyes like he was possessed. 
To deal with this, she said that Sherry Lynn would leave notes around the house that just said things like, get out Satan on them. So if you were to visit there, you fall a house, you'd find kind of these little messages from Sherry Lynn all over the so house. So basically, your post-it notes with Satan's name on it will prevent anything bad from happening. That was the belief It must have spent had. a lot well, on post-it notes. She said that's how Sherry Lynn dealt with the situation. Gotcha. Nikki also told police that Sherry Lynn was looking into the possibility that her house was built on a Native American burial ground. Poltergeist style. See, I could believe that more than the family of ghosts living in the attic. Right. I mean, maybe that's a possibility. So she was looking into that. And I looked into the medication that Bobby and Sherry Lynn were taking. And there are no hallucinations as side effects in this medication. So it wouldn't be a a medication side effect. But this is something that the family believed. And when you believe that your house is haunted... It consumes the family. And then I think that it runs wild. Because if one person thinks so, and then the other person thinks so, and then you kind of start feeding off of each other, and maybe that's what was happening. And maybe Madison was noticing that. And children, by all accounts, people say that they're open to the spiritual world, which I completely believe in. But six-year-olds also like attention. So if her parents were giving her attention for saying that she's speaking to, I mean, you don't know. Yeah. Also, this is all brought on most likely by her bipolar. Correct. You know, this could just be like uh, some sort of side effect. I don't know about mental illness that much, but if you have bipolar, it could maybe bring another side of you. Maybe one side believes that there's ghosts, and when you're in a good mood, you don't. I don't know. True, but the only thing that would kind of discount that is that Bobby believed it as well. Well, I mean, if you told me there was ghosts in the house... Eventually, I would just be like, okay, I believe you. Would you ask your pastor for special bullets? I would not ask my pastor for (laughs) bullets. I would ask him to come in and and bless the house. I think that they really, really believed this. And like I said before, you can believe it, you cannot believe it, but the fact that they believed it is what's important to the case, really. Sherry Lynn was interested in the occult outside of her demonic infestation. She was very into witchcraft, according to her friend. She found it interesting and exciting. It's also important to know that because of her bipolar disorder, she didn't like to socialize as much. And now everyone says that when Sherry Lynn was taking her medication, she was great. But this is a cycle that a lot of people with mental illness fall into. They take their medication, they feel great, and then they think they don't need their medication, so they stop taking it. Or it makes them feel like they're in some sort of zombie-like kind of tired state. And then they don't like to take it. And then they don't want to take it. Right. Right. So that's the cycle that Sherry Lynn goes through sometimes. And when she is either being manic or depressive, she really doesn't like to socialize. So Sherry Lynn tells her friends that she is close with. Sometimes she likes giving out to the world that she's a witch because she thinks it keeps people away from her. Okay. So that's kind of another reason why she was into this whole witchcraft thing. Because she liked keeping her distance from people. And it's something that made people keep their distance. So Especially in using, the Bible Belt. Right. So she's using like witchcraft or whatever. Or saying that she is a witch to kind of deter people. Right. Yeah. yeah I think it's more jokingly into it than seriously Believing into that. the idea of witchcraft or the Wiccan religion. Right. Okay. Sherry Lynn told a friend shortly before the October 2009 disappearance that the neighbors had poisoned several of their cats. So the family did have several cats. They found them poisoned. And in retaliation to the neighbors doing this, Sherry Lynn spray painted a message on the family's large storage container. It read, three cats killed to date by people in this area. Witches don't like their black cats killed. So... I think this shows her mental instability at times, that she would scroll this huge message for the whole neighborhood to see, to kind of like ostracize the family. And also to just just straight up assume that, oh, these cats were poisoned. Maybe she didn't feed them. <laughs> or, well, or maybe they ate something. Maybe they yeah, ha- had a bad, ate a bad plant or I don't, it didn't say, I couldn't find anything about the poisoning of the cats. And if the neighbors did do that, that's horrible. But I don't think that there's any proof that the neighbors did it. But I think she didn't like her neighbors. And I think her neighbors didn't like her. And then when that happens, sometimes you blame people 
for things. Well, it's, it's easy to blame your neighbors. It's also especially when you don't like them. I think it's also very bizarre. Well, I mean, unstable, bizarre. But she, but she did have a mental disorder, so it's not. I think it's just showing you her mental state at the time because this is a large container that they were going to live in. Right. And now she's spray painting this message on it. So I don't know if they're planning on painting over it, but it seems something that she did in anger. You know, it's obviously something that wasn't thought through. So it seems like there was anger against the people in the area. And that could be another reason why they want to get out of there so bad and go to this new 40-acre plot they were looking to buy. So the other thing that's going to confirm the whole belief in witches for Sherry Lynn is when investigators did go through the house, they found a witch's Bible. But Nikki, her friend from before, stated that her and Sherry Lynn bought them as a joke for each other. But when investigators found it, it kind of led them through this rabbit hole of, is the occult involved? So... Now that we've kind of gone through the background of the family and we see where they are, we're going to talk about the day of the disappearance. So the Jameson family went out to look for a 40-acre plot of land near Red Oak, Oklahoma, in the Sand Boys Mountains. Before they left for their 30-mile trip, the couple was seen on their surveillance camera packing up their pickup truck. The full footage has not been released, but clips of the video have been seen on a television show regarding the disappearance of the family. And that's on the show, Disappeared. And it's really good. Season 2, episode 9 or 10, I believe. But it's really good. And if you're interested in seeing some of that footage, that's where you could see it. The video shows a Sherry Lynn and Bobby loading the truck with their belongings. They both make at least 20 trips back and forth between their house and the truck. The angle of the camera only shows the driveway and off into the distance, just in range of the cameras, you can see Madison playing. Now, there's a few things that are off about this video. Um, The first thing I think is off about it is the fact that they're packing up this pickup truck if they're just going to look for land. So if they're just looking, why are they packing up the truck? Like, it seems like they're ready for a move 20 trips back and forth. That is weird. Uh, quick question, though. How far is their house to Red Oak? Only 30 miles. Hmm. Which is, I mean, at most, it could take you 45 minutes. That's I can't weird. imagine having yeah. tri-state area traffic in southern, southeastern Oklahoma like we have. I doubt it. Unless maybe they were going for a camping trip. Maybe they were going for a camping trip. We don't know what was in the boxes or the bags that they were packing. They could have even been, maybe they maybe they wanted to spend the night there to kind of survey the 40-acre plot that they were looking at, maybe. That's a good point. Sounds a little weird, but you never know. I mean, they're kind of like, they like the wilderness, they kind of like the land. That's true, and by, by all accounts, it said that Bobby was very good with the outdoors. So he went camping a lot, he was a hiker, he was someone who was very familiar with it. So maybe the family was planning on going camping or hiking or whatever they were planning on doing it says that the couple is moving back and forth in a trance-like state and doesn't appear to be speaking to each other some people are going to say that bobby and sherry lynn were going through a separ, possibly going through a separation before this was all happening there's no proof of that anywhere but i think that the whole trance-like state I don't know what that could be. It could just be moving. It's it's hard to move things back and forth in a well, truck. I could I could come up with two things right there. They could be in a translite state. One because both of them are are on opioids. If if the guy's back is messed up, he's obviously taking painkillers. Correct. If if she's taking uh, bipolar medication, she is going to be in a translite state. The other thing is. He could possibly be pissed off, or she could be pissed off, or they could both be pissed off at one another. Right, they're fighting, and they're, they're just not, fighting talking, and they're to just not talking to each other, and they're just putting things into the truck. Right, because it does say there's some things that happen where somebody will bring something to the truck, and then they'll bring it back to the house, and I don't know, it just seems like they were very disorganized that day. Maybe they were just really flustered, maybe they weren't prepared for this, I don't know. But the trans-like state could be either they were fighting, or... They were on medication. There are some occasions, too, where they'll stop packing and they'll look off into the distance. So that could either be they're staring down their neighbors that they think poison their cat or they're looking at Madison. I don't think that they were 
I mean, because the way it's been depicted sometimes by law enforcement or by certain TV shows is that they were completely out of it that day. And I don't know if we can really speculate about that. I mean, it could be a possibility. I mean, I could add one more thing to that list that you just said. I can also come up with the fact that they were looking out into the distance for, uh, you know, they, maybe they were possibly scared. They maybe they're looking out for someone. Maybe they feel like, you know, they're being watched. So maybe as they're packing the van or truck, I'm sorry, that they're looking out to see if anyone's around them. No, that's a really good point. So, I, I mean, that's possible that. too. Another thing that's weird about the footage is Bobby seems to change his clothes in the middle of packing up this pickup truck. At first, he's wearing a white shirt and lighter jeans, and then he's going to switch into a gray shirt and darker jeans. I've I've heard people talk about this two ways, that it shows that he was just out of it and he's changing his clothes. But then I've also heard people say that because we don't get a good vantage point of the house and we're only seeing the driveway, maybe there was a third person there. Well, was the video kind of grainy? The video is very grainy. It's like an old surveillance camera. It's not clear. It's very you can't you can't identify someone's face. I mean, it's possible they had a friend just come and help them put the stuff into the truck. They could have, and it's uh, it seems like some people argue that the body frame it looks a little different. So, if there is a third person there, are they moving in a trance-like state because they're scared and they have to? They're being ordered to pack up this truck. I mean. That kind of opened some questions, too. Or maybe Bobby was just sweating and he wanted to wear a better... I mean, that seems to make the most sense. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you sweat moving stuff around. Hey, listen, I can relate. I change my shirts, like, twice a day. (laughs) So it's possible. So after packing up the pickup truck, the family of three is going to head to Red Oak to look at this 40-acre plot. The last person to see the Jamesons alive was of little help. He saw the family about the land and never saw them again after that. He did not see anyone else in the area. The man is going to live a quarter mile away from where the family's truck will be found. From GPS and cell phone evidence, it's known that after the family goes to see the man to look at the property, they are going to park, take their GPS and their cell phones, And they're going to kind of hike up to this rock formation. And this is where they take a picture of Madison. And this is the last picture that's going to be taken of her alive. And the reason we know this is because when police found the truck, they're going to find the GPS and the cell phone inside it. And we'll get to that. But this is the last movement of the family. So that's why I wanted to include it in their day of the disappearance. So it seemed like they went to the man's house. I guess, discuss the property. The man has since moved and doesn't really talk about the case. So, I mean, what he said to them or the interest of the family in the land, we don't know. But after that, they hike up to this rock formation. They drive a quarter mile and they take a picture of Madison. And this picture of Madison has come into a little bit of speculation. People say that she's distressed People say that she is upset and someone's taking a picture and she doesn't want her picture taken. So what I wanted to do is first talk about the picture. Okay, so in looking at the picture, to me, it doesn't seem like Madison's distressed. Where this came from was her grandmother is going to her grandmother on Sherry Lynn's side is going to say that Madison loved getting her picture taken and she would never look distressed in a photo. She wouldn't look that way unless she was agitated or something was happening. But I think that's unrealistic to say about a six-year-old. They're not always going to be in the mood to get their picture taken. Or, I mean, to me, it looks like she's in the middle of a conversation. And I took, I'm, you know, I've taken a look at the photo a few times myself, and I have to say that I kind of agree with Kay. I mean, she looks like, you know, she's a little agitated and... She possibly could be cold or maybe she has mosquito, like, you know, she has bugs on her or something. She's not really, like, enjoying the scenery or out there. Or she's just doing an awkward six-year-old pose for a photograph yeah. with missing front teeth. I mean, yeah. you know when your parents ask you to smile and you don't want to and it's like that forced smile. And it's just, I think it's, 
I think it's more of a candid moment than it is a distressed moment. Yeah, I don't see distress there. I just see her just, you know, not wanting to take the photo. <laughs> right. And some people will comment about the fact that it looks like her shirt doesn't fit her. It is a little small. But with six-year-olds, they grow. They grow quickly. So baby Madison had a favorite shirt. She insisted on wearing it. Her parents, it was harder to... Th- I don't think it shows that she isn't being cared, cared for. I think people will read into that too much. I think so, too. I think that it's more just, she's a growing girl, and the family does have some financial problems. It looks like she's being bathed, taken care of. She's a healthy weight. I don't think it shows that Madison's not being cared for right. by Bobby and Sherry Lynn. So the picture... And the hike up this rock formation seems to be the last thing we know about the family. After the picture is taken, they do return to the truck. After that, we have no idea what happened to them. The Jameson family wasn't reported missing until the 17th of October. This makes sense because the family was known to kind of disappear or go off the grid for some time. Madison would not have been reported missing from school because the couple had recently pulled her out. Once the family was reported missing, though, the search is going to begin. So on that date, there's going to be an air and land search of the Samboys Mountains. There's some conflicting accounts as to who found the pickup truck first. The family's white pickup truck was found, like I said before, a quarter mile away from the residence of the man who was selling the property. Inside the truck, the family's belongings were found. They included Bobby's wallet, Sherry Lynn's purse, a GPS, and not like a car GPS to tell you where to go, but more like a GPS to help you while you're hiking, getting around the mountains. Cell phones and $32,000 in cash below the driver's seat. The family dog was also found in the truck, and the dog was extremely malnourished and he was barely alive. But nobody worried because the dog survives and he goes and lives with Bobby's mother. So well, that's the silver all, lining into all That's the silver lining. Right? That's for our animal lovers out there. In the truck is also found an eleven page letter found written to Bobby from Sherry Lynn. And the letter was an angry one and it explained that the couple would fight from time to time and that Sherry Lynn didn't like that Bobby was becoming a hermit and I mean, from the letter, Sherry Lynn's mother is going to say that when Sherry Lynn would be in her manic or her depressive states, that she would write extensively in this journal that she had. So her writing these long, long letters is something that's common for Sherry Lynn. So to us, that would seem weird. And the uh, and just a you know question for you here: uh, these these were like journal entries. It's not like that he was she was writing a letter to him, telling him how. It's, you know, fucked up he was or whatever, right? It seems like it was ripped out of her journal. Hmm. So maybe she was wanting to talk to Bobby and she felt like having that letter in front of her would help her vocalize herself a little better. I know sometimes like when you're in the middle of a fight and you realize you're not getting something across properly, maybe she wanted to read it. Maybe she's just those one of those people that has to read something right. versus just have the verbal alt fight. But it's something that's not uncommon for Sherry Lynn. So that's why it's something that I don't think is bizarre. Okay. I mean, it's a little weird that it was in the truck. But it could have been something from a while ago. It wasn't dated. So we don't know when it's from. We can't worry that she thought he was this hermit when she was planning on moving to 40 acres with him in a large storage container. Yeah, I really. Mean, it seems like it's something they both wanted to yeah, do. It doesn't get more secluded than that. No. That's what was found in the truck, but what was missing from the truck were two things. First, Sherry Lynn's twenty-two caliber pistol was missing, and a brown briefcase was missing. We saw the couple load the brown brief briefcase into the truck, but it wasn't found in the truck. Hmm, that's very odd. It is odd. So, um, there's a lot of speculation with this brown briefcase and what was in it and what wasn't in it, but what's so interesting is that these This $32,000 of cash was found under the driver's seat in a bag within a bag. Well, maybe they just didn't believe in banks. Well, it it would seem so if they, if if we're going to go with the thought process of they want it to kind of be self-sufficient, off-the-grid kind of living, they're not going to be keeping their money in a bank. Right, exactly. 
Um, It also may have to do with social security because if you have a certain amount of money in the bank, sometimes you have to give that back because of the social security that you've collected. So maybe the couple didn't want to put it in the bank because then it would have to be claimed. This is something that's very common with people who collect social security because then you lose that money. You owe it back. So that's why you would keep it out. That makes sense. But the only thing that doesn't make sense about that is that um, any money that you're making is reported to the IRS. Any money that you've made, whether it's a sale of something or it's money that you've made in your gross or something, you know what I'm trying to say to you? So I don't understand that unless this money is money from drug deals, which in I just have to say this really quickly. I'm not going to go ahead of you, okay? But I just want to say what I think is in that briefcase is meth or drugs. Because that would make sense. The money, the drug, the briefcase with made possible drugs in it, and a possible going all the way out to a rock face, 40-acre plot. It, it's like the perfect backdrop But would they to a take their deal. daughter there? Well, maybe it was a. they thought it would be a quick drug deal, a kind of a, an even swap, and then they would go on about their day on this plot of land. Maybe. Or, I mean, what we think the $32,000 was from was Bobby did own a section of land with his father that was recently sold and he owned half of it and that was sold for $64,000. So what I'm thinking is that 32 is the other half and they just don't want to put it in the bank because they don't want it to be taken away by Social Security. It's possible. You have one, one, but we don't know what's in the brown bag, right? And if I I find that odd that it's gone, right? It is odd that that is the one item that is gone because it can't be money. Because even though let's just say whoever was involved with them, let's say you know whatever, that would have been gone. They would have whoever searching that truck would have found it underneath the seat. Come on, guys, you know. But if the briefcase had money in it, they would have took the briefcase and the money that was underneath the chair. True. So it can't be money in the briefcase. Right, or they just didn't want to keep searching. They thought, "Oh my God, here's money. Let's take it and run." Well, but if I I'm, if I'm robbing you, not that I'm not a robber, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going to rob anybody at gunpoint or knife point. But if you're going to do that, you're going to take everything. So that right. just doesn't make sense to me. I would look until I right, found everything. Right, because the cell phone, the purse, that take stuff everything, is still the there. GPS, everything, his right. wallet. It's not money in that briefcase. So after the truck is found, a massive search is going to begin. Over 300 volunteers and dozens of law enforcement agencies were involved. Drones were used in the search as well as 16 teams of dogs. The dense trees and mountainous terrain made searching an extremely difficult and slow process, but nothing turned up. The sheriff of Latimer County at the time, Israel Beauchamp, will work tirelessly to find the family. In a news conference, he stated that there was no signs of foul play. It appeared that the family planned to return to the truck. He did make reference to heavy rainfall in the area, but then went on to say that he does not think the running creek nearby the truck would have been strong enough to sweep away two adults. While the search of the Jameson family continued, Bob Dean Jameson is going to die in December of 2009. In his will, everything that he had was left to his granddaughter, Madison. In the months following the investigation, Beauchamp is going to state many things led him to believe that Bobby and Sherry Lynn had been scammers due to their litigation records and the disability checks. He stated about the case, Normally with an investigation, one by one, you can eliminate certain scenarios. We haven't been able to do that in this case. With this family, everything seems possible. However, he did conclude that he does not think the couple was in trouble or looking to start a new life. The biggest clue he believed was the briefcase. He believed it held a lot of cash and it might be why the family is missing. You don't know. If they sold that land for six, what if they took the other $32,000 that was supposed to be Bob Dean's? It's possible. And that's what was in the briefcase. I mean, look, what I'm just saying is just a possible theory here. I I know. I'm just saying. I just just thought it and I wanted to get it out. So, before he retired and moved out of the country in 2011, Beauchamp's final thoughts were this. I've gone back and forth on this, but my latest theory, based on how the truck was parked and what was found in the truck, I think they were forced to stop. They then got out of the truck to meet with someone they recognized, 
and I think they either left willingly or by force. However, many things contradict this theory. For example, there was no other footprints outside of the truck except for that of the families. The truck was on an unpaved road and it just seems, it doesn't seem to be positioned in any sort of irregular way. There's no tracks, whether it be ATVs, dirt bikes, another vehicle, or even footprints from an animal or from a human. So there was no scuffle. There was no other people. So that contradicts the latest theory that the retired sheriff does have. It is important to note that during the investigation, no drug paraphernalia was found in the Jameson's truck or the house. Now, I know you said that you think maybe the Brown briefcase may have been where they held their drugs, but I feel like if you have a couple that's doing meth, that there's going to be traces of it in their house, in their truck. And, and by all accounts, the, the truck and the house were not kept neat. So I understand what you're saying. And, and, and just to say, I, I just want to clarify something. I, I just like to have another theory. You know, I mean, you could be oh, correct. Yeah. And I could, or I could be. But this is the thing. Just because you sell it doesn't mean you do it. Very true. Also, it's very possible. What if they were running it for people? Once again, you're not doing meth or any sort of drugs if you're just running it for people. It's very true. It's possible that there was some sort of middleman that kind of gave them that briefcase or something. You know what I mean? And that they were running it to go meet someone else. I understand what you're saying. But then again, at the same time, my theory kind of gets shot down if there's no other footprints or tracks. Right. But, you know. All right. So even though the media was reporting that they were in a drug-like trance packing up the car, this is going to be amplified by the fact that law enforcement is going to say that they had an expert look at the footage and he concluded that the couple was using drugs. So that's why that theory went out immediately about the whole trance-like state of the couple while packing up the vehicle. Numerous people were questioned regarding the disappearance of the Jameson family. This only led investigators down a rabbit hole. The white supremacist that rented the room from the family was first considered because one of his pill bottles was found in the abandoned pickup truck and because of the altercation that Sherry Lynn had had with him. However, he was cleared by the FBI, and so was the man who saw them on the property. So white supremacists cleared, and so was the man who was the last to see them alive. Jack Jameson, the brother of Bob Dean Jameson and the uncle of Bobby, stated that he does not believe his brother was involved with the disappearance of his son or his son's family. He stated that he is just plum puzzled about this event and nothing seems to make sense. He did admit that his brother was a little disturbed at the time, but was not capable of something like that. He was either in the hospital or in a rest home during the time. And what he means by disturbed, we don't know. But he's saying that himself, physically, Bob Dean was not capable of something like that. I think what he means by disturbed is that maybe he is disturbed and he's distraught over the loss or the disappearance of his entire family, including Madison, who he left everything to. Yeah, it seems to be very close with his granddaughter. That might, that might, that might be what he's I talking think, about. I think he also might be disturbed by the fact that he was having such a fight with his son. It's possible. Family drama. And he just got divorced recently, and they'd been married for 40-plus years. So Sherilyn's mother, Connie Kokatan, has maintained from the start that she believes somebody killed the missing family. She lived with the family shortly before they disappeared, and she discounted theories that linked the couple to drugs. In an interview to The Oklahoman, she stated that she believes a religious cult is responsible for their deaths. She went on to claim that Sherry Lynn was on a hit list for a cult, and there is no way anything else happened because the couple loved Madison too much and would never allow anything to happen to her. During the interview, she refused to give the name of the cult involved, but she said that the police know more than they are letting on regarding the investigation. All this talk about cults was amplified by the reprinting of several news articles from the past, for example, in the Oklahoman in 1993, around the same time as the incident in Waco with the Branch Davidians under the lead of David Koresh, which was close to the region we're talking about, 
An article appeared warning the public of cults in the area where the disappearance took place. The article, which was reprinted in 2009, stated, The U.S. Marshals were warning residents that some cults have made their home in eastern Oklahoma, and some of them are very extreme. Nikki Sherryland's friend told police that she was contacted by an anonymous woman who claimed that Sherry Lynn had been involved with a cult called the United White Knights, who vowed to kill her. I mean, uh... so that's the cult. That's the cult aspect of this. Yeah. Now to make things more complicated, on Saturday, November sixteenth, two thousand and thirteen, the skeletal remains of three people were found by hunters in Latimer County, in the rugged mountain terrain just south of the town of Quinta. The remains were that of two adults and one child, but no evidence was recovered at the scene, the scene to help identify the bodies. The Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation then took over the case. The remains were found side by side and face down 2.7 miles northwest of where the Jameson's pickup truck was found abandoned four years earlier. The bodies took about eight months to identify. They were that of the Jameson family. Bobby's Uncle Jack made the following statement to the press. The findings of the bodies bring a closure to not knowing, especially about the girl. She did nothing to cause something like that. It brings closure. That's about all I can say. It's sad. It's about what we expected. The new sheriff of Latimer County, Jesse James, awesome name for a sheriff, <laughs> stated that it was a strong possibility the bodies did not turn up in the initial search because of how densely wooded the areas were found. Also, the leaf fall could have hidden the bodies. We are talking about in the forest in October. So they're saying that maybe that was what covered the bodies and that's why the bodies were not found back in the search in 2009. Makes sense. The medical examiners who looked at the bodies determined that the cause of death could not be determined due to incomplete skeletal remains and exposure to the elements. Let's not forget they were in these harsh conditions for years, so that's going to really affect the body and what we can now determine. However, an interesting thing to note is the fact that the skull that belonged to Bobby had a small hole in it, which could appear to be a bullet wound, or the result of exposure. It couldn't be determined. But that would help explain a lot of things if we could determine if that hole was a bullet wound or it was exposure. It has been theorized that maybe the bodies washed up uh, and were discovered in that area after a flash flood. So there's a lot of things that could have happened to move the bodies around. The area is very prone to flash flooding. It seems that the disappearance and the subsequent death of the Jameson family will never be solved. But that doesn't mean there's a lack of theories as to how this entire family ended up dead. What we can do is kind of go through the list of all of these theories that have been posed. Okay, so the first theory that is considered is the fact that this was, like you said, a drug deal gone bad. And things that support this theory is the fact that an extreme amount of cash was found in the car, that brown briefcase is gone, and people do claim that they were in a trance-like state. Maybe this couple was doing drugs. That's a theory that's out there. Right. That's definitely a theory that could be possible. I mean, you never know. That's just one out of a few. Right. The next is that maybe the family had stolen money from Bobby's father, like we said, with that recent transaction that went down. Maybe that was the money that was left over in the briefcase that was taken. This is if we believe that Bobby's father is involved in all this illegal activity that they claim. Right. But what proves it wrong is that if they had Madison with her, the last thing that he would want, the grandfather would want, is any harm done to her, you know, his granddaughter. Right. It's the first thing. And the second thing is there's no tracks. There's no uh, footprints. There's nothing that would make you think that he sent someone to go retrieve his lost money. So that theory to me is a no-no. Right, I think so too. I don't think that Bob Dean, by all accounts, he seems to be obsessed in a good way, in a grandfatherly way, about his granddaughter Madison. And he 
it seems to me that all of the litigation that was happening between them and his claims to kidnap Madison is because he felt like the couple wasn't keeping her in a good home. Right. It was coming from a good place, not a really creepy way. Yeah. And right. I, th- I think that if he was involved in any way in the disappearance of this family, that he would have taken Madison, she would not have died. Right. That's my point. And yeah. her body Absolutely. was found with the Absolutely. family, same decomposition time. So, yeah. And I think, so then if we're saying that, then that would discount the theory that Bob Dean hired a hitman, because that's also another thing from the Mexican mafia. I just don't think it's possible. If he if he loves his granddaughter so much, he would not do that. Right. There are also no direct ties to the Mexican mafia. No, there's none that we can find anyway. That I can find. I mean, I don't know. They, yeah. don't, they don't usually keep a book of who the people that they do right. business with, but no. I couldn't find any illegal connection. I couldn't even find any illegal activity that Bob Dean was involved in. So we don't know. Another theory is that this was a possible murder-suicide. Yeah. I mean, I will say, uh, I actually talked about uh, talked about this yesterday to you because I just, I, I loved it so much. I really think what's going on here is, well, I have two things. First thing is that in the beginning of the show, we talked about how she did pull out a twenty-two caliber handgun and pointed at the white supremacist to leave. Sherilyn did. We do, yeah, Sherilyn. So we do know that she has the ability to pick up a gun and aim it at someone. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you have the gall to aim a gun at someone, it doesn't seem like you're afraid to use it. Correct. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that the gun is missing from the truck. It's very true. So I think that it's completely possible, due to the fact that she's completely mentally unstable, it's possible she's that it was a murder-suicide. from... Bipolar disorder, she was depressed. Yes. And then the only other thing that I can come up with, because you know I love theories, the only thing I can think of is they're in a rocky terrain. They're in rocky terrain. They're in, you know, the area there. So it's possible that maybe they actually fell off. They like Maybe they were like, oh, check this out, Madison. This is, Look at this crazy, amazing view. And they were all standing in front. You know, looking out, and it's possible that like maybe the one of the rocks broke off the edge, and they all fell, and that's why they are all together like that. And maybe the hole in his head isn't due to a bullet, like I'm saying before my previous one, but this could be maybe a rock as they were falling caused a big hole or dent in his head. Okay, so the first theory is that it could be possibly a murder suicide because Sherry Lynn was suffering from bipolar disorder and she was depressed. So maybe she had killed Bobby and Madison and then turned the gun on herself. Yes. You're saying that's a possibility. It's possible. It is important to note too, though, that it's so rare. There's such a rare connection with these mental disorders and like someone's mental disorder and violent capabilities. Maybe... What we saw that outburst with Sherry Lynn with the white supremacists, maybe she was just protecting her family, she felt like. But there doesn't, there's not really too much of a direct correlation with violence and mental disorders. So we don't want to say that that's a definite possibility. For all we know, the murder-suicide could be from the aspect of Bobby, where maybe Bobby was the one who killed his family because he felt like you know, maybe he wasn't supporting the family because now he's on disability because of the car crash. And that could lead to a highly depressive state. By any chance, do you know where the bullet, like, or where this supposed hole, like, what it's from, where it is exactly? Do you know if it's on the side of the No, back of I head? couldn't find where the bullet hole was. Because I would be would interested prove, to know yeah. if anyone could find out. You know what? Because that would be interesting because I'm not saying that it could just be Sherry Lynn, but it could be the husband as well. Right. And if we find out where the bullet hole is on his, like, where you know, on his head, mm-hmm. that would that would make me think. Okay, now he murdered them and killed himself. Right. And also the deterioration of the bodies. The only way you would know if it was a bullet hole is in the skull. Right. I mean, you would see bullet um, like chippings on bones, or you would see that you would be able to determine by looking at a skeleton, if that person was shot, but because the bodies are so deteriorated and they don't even have all of the remains right. that it may be missing. Which could also be due to animals. They Correct. are in the forest. So. Yes. Now, like you said, that second one you said, that accidental fall, injury, um, it's very possible. One of the... This happens all the time where you're hiking in an area that you're not familiar with, one person falls, and then people go down to try and help that person, but then they fall as well because 
they're, they have no idea how bad the area is. So maybe the family did suffer injuries and then they died of exposure. It's a possibility. Or they just got lost. Yeah. Because the GPS wasn't with them. Right. So maybe, like, Madison ran away, the couple was chasing her, and then now they are lost. Because they didn't bring the GPS with them. So whatever they went to do, it was it was quick. Like, what if the girl had to go to the bathroom? Right, and they all went together. And they all went together, and then she ran off. And right. then now they're lost. They were, the bodies were found almost three miles away from the truck. It's very easy to be disoriented in a dense forest area. Right, and just one other one, actually, because I just thought about it right now, so guys, so I'm sorry about that. Um, but how about this? You ever see in Dexter... When the killer mm-hmm. during one of the seasons makes the victims jump, so they either oh, have a choice. Oh, them look like they commit suicide. Correct. Correct. So it's like they have a choice: either you get killed here, and I'll do it right now, so, so or Trini- they'll jump off. So the Trinity killer is responsible uh, for this. I'm just kidding, but but no, but well, but the theory could be: what if they were in a situation? Where, where they, they were forced. were forced to either jump or they said, oh my God, we're going to jump because we want to be in control of our own fate than us being killed. That does it's kind of stretch, go with but... the theory that maybe the couple, when they were walking through the woods, the family, when they were walking through the woods, ran across something they weren't supposed to see. They were in the Red Oak area of Oklahoma, which is known for its meth production. Did they run across something they weren't supposed to see, whether it be meth production, um, a drug deal going on? Maybe they ran into somebody that they shouldn't have ran into, and it's just a case of the wrong place at the wrong time. time. I agree with that. Um, Another theory is that the family went into a witness protection program. That's not something that I think is plausible whatsoever. I think so. The publicity wouldn't be out like that. If If the family went into witness protection, it wouldn't have been plastered all over the news. On top of that, you wouldn't have all their belongings in a, in a pickup truck just abandoned there. That's not how they run their operation. No, it doesn't point to witness protection at all. I think it also, another theory that is easily discredited is the fact that they faked their own deaths. I don't think this family was trying to get away from anything. So, Well, clearly they can't fake their own deaths. Because they really died. And they really died. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on. Another thing is the carbon monoxide poisoning that maybe they had... Um, suffered from carbon monoxide poisoning in the truck and then they went to they ran out of the truck to kind of escape it and they got disoriented lost in the woods and died of exposure but the carbon monoxide thing doesn't make any sense because their dog Maisie was in the truck and was able to stay alive for the time that they were missing right if there was like a leak in the in the um you know the exhaust system and they had no windows open i can see that but that happens slowly over time, and it would be as you're sleeping in the truck. Right. You so, wouldn't go find yourself in the woods after that. It just that doesn't make any sense. I yeah, I don't think that and the that dog's one... not dead. Thank God, but it's not dead, so right. it doesn't make sense. Um, the last theory that people do discuss is the whole idea of cults, demons, ghosts, that whole kind of thing. I don't know how plausible that is. On several, I don't know how plausible that is. Nikki, Sherry Lynn's friend, said that she did go visit that site where there were, where the bodies were found, and she saw a whole bunch of cars lined up with Texas license plates, and that they had fired a warning shot into the air, and that she believes that a cult was there at that site. Um, she could have stumbled upon a drug deal. We don't know. I don't know what she saw. I don't know if she's telling the truth. But I think that the fact that there was no evidence that they were involved in a cult. Not saying that people don't get murdered because of their involvement in cults or trying to leave a cult. That's something that's plausible, but there's no evidence that they were involved. By all accounts, they seem to want to isolate themselves, not be involved with other people. And one last thing. This Nikki lady, to be honest, she's not credible at all. Doesn't seem like the uh, most credible. I mean, throughout this whole entire investigation, it just she she doesn't know what's up or down. I don't give her any sort of credibility at all. So, in thinking about all of the things that have happened throughout this case, which is very complicated, and I think it seems to be cloudy because of all the other things that are happening with the 
family and all of the things that they're claiming and their mental disorders, I think it makes things very confusing. But in my opinion, I think the most obvious answer is the one that's true. Just getting lost, falling, dying of exposure. It seems like something like that is more likely to happen. I mean, their judgment may have been clouded because of the medication they took. And maybe the family just got disoriented. And I'll leave off by saying I do think that they were murdered. Whether it was murder-suicide or, like I said, you know, being forced to commit suicide. Trinity style. The Trinity style. That's where I'm going with. But anyway... Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us for episode six. We hope you enjoyed it. Again, please, if you like the show, give us some reviews on iTunes. And remember, even just a dollar a month pledging to us on Patreon would be so amazing. Remember, that's patreon.com slash couple. Thank you so much for listening. We are so excited to keep bringing you these episodes. We love you guys. Bye. Bye, guys.